Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Tuesday, November 30th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Jack Dorsey posted his final tweet as CEO of Twitter, and commodities giant Glencore is under pressure to get out of its dirtiest, but very profitable, thermal coal business. Plus, some say Pfizer has saved the world with its COVID vaccine. Our global pharmaceuticals correspondent, Hannah Kushler, talks about how it got there and the downside of Pfizer's dominance. Well, I think it puts them in a very powerful position over things that companies don't normally have power over. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Glencore is under pressure to spin off its thermal coal business. Activist hedge fund Bluebell Capital Partners wrote to the mining and commodities trading company earlier this month in a letter seen by the FT, in which Bluebell urged Glencore to chart a future without the world's most polluting fossil fuel. Bluebell also urged the group to divest non-core assets and improve corporate governance. Glencore is the world's biggest exporter of thermal coal, which is burned in power stations, and its coal business is expected to make billions. Glencore does have a plan to close down its mines over the next 30 years, but Bluebell says the strategy is morally unacceptable and financially flawed. The hedge fund isn't big, but it's known to be shrewd. Its campaign at French food maker Dannon led to the ousting of the company's CEO earlier this year. Jack Dorsey resigned as head of Twitter yesterday, 15 years after he co-founded it. The 45-year-old said he wants the company to move on from its founders. But when we look into the reporting a little bit more, one person familiar with the process said that this succession has been planned for more than a year. That's our technology reporter, Christina Criddle. So last year, activist hedge fund Elliott Management took a 4% stake in Twitter, and they tried to get rid of Dorsey then. It was really concerned that Dorsey was distracted because he was also the founder of another company, Square, which is a mobile payment system. And they also had some concerns that he had other interests uh, in cryptocurrencies that were distracting him from his job at Twitter. So they set up a committee of directors to evaluate the leadership last year. And apparently then they planned the successor. So Dorsey has sort of been staying in position only until this moment now that they've announced Parag will be taking over. Yeah, Parag being Parag Agrawal, the former chief technology officer of Twitter and Jack Dorsey's replacement. Christina, what do you make of this choice? Yeah, I think it's really interesting that they've gone with an insider who has been at the company for so long. They clearly don't want to bring in a flashy name from another company who might be bringing something external, but maybe not know the company very well. People I've spoken to have said that Agrawal is egoless, but he's very formidable, very brilliant, and really likes to get down to the core of an issue rather than trying to come up with a flashy fix. So he will spend a lot of time trying to understand the different teams and how they work and trying to understand the problem. Um, He's also been described as a little bit nerdy and not having the same sort of Silicon Valley silver tongue that perhaps Jack Dorsey has. But everybody I've spoken to has said that he's very impressive and that they are um, really happy with him becoming the new CEO. Christina Criddle is the FT's technology reporter. She's based in London. One of the biggest effects of the pandemic has been a huge expansion of state power. 
Governments have imposed lockdowns. They've propped up economies with public funds. But when it comes to medical solutions, they're almost completely dependent on private companies. And one company in particular, the FT's global pharmaceuticals correspondent, Hannah Kushler, has been writing about how Pfizer became so dominant. She joins me now. Hi, Hannah. Hello. So pre-pandemic, Pfizer's most famous drug was Viagra. We all know what that does. Now, Pfizer is behind the best-selling pharmaceutical product of all time. How did this happen? Yeah, one of the really great lines in this piece is I spoke to this U.S. official who said, it's not even their product. (laughs) And that is one of the um, interesting things about this story. The vaccine that's now known as the Pfizer shot almost everywhere in the world was actually made in the labs of BioNTech, their German partner, which is this pioneer in mRNA technology, which we know has been the real sort of supercharged um, this vaccine and, and made it the most successful in the world. So briefly, in, in dollar terms, in financial terms, what has Pfizer's COVID vaccine meant for the company itself and for its position in the market? I mean, it's absolutely huge. So Pfizer is forecasting this year billion in revenue from this vaccine. Now, before that, we used to call a blockbuster drug is a billion-dollar drug, right? Um, Some of the big mega blockbusters um, are drugs like Humira, um, which is an anti-inflammatory drug that can be used for a whole range of diseases, so is prescribed fairly widely. That comes in at $20 billion. So $36 is like out of nowhere complete record breaker. And it's probably going to continue. Pfizer reckons that it'll have $29 billion in revenue next year. But it's probably going to be more than that, because that was based on contracts it had already signed in mid-October. Now, of course, Pfizer isn't the only one out there with a vaccine. Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, AstraZeneca. Why was Pfizer so much more successful at distributing the vaccine than other pharmaceutical companies? So Pfizer was very big before the pandemic. It was the only major vaccine maker that we actually see or has a vaccine, a COVID shot on the market right now. Um, And so it had expertise in making vaccines. It also had a lot more financial firepower than a company like Moderna that had never had a product before. BioNTech, obviously its partner, also never had a product before. So it was able to really turbocharge the production um, because of that combination of you know, expertise and money. So Hannah, Pfizer is the most dominant player in the market now. Is there cause for concern? Well, I think it puts them in a very powerful position over things that companies don't normally have power over, over, you know, who gets doses that can potentially save millions of lives. And so you have a lot of people, unfortunately, in very you know, barely vaccinated areas of the world who are quite resentful of the idea that Pfizer has saved the world because they don't feel like they saved their parts of the world. We can have a debate and maybe we should about the extent to which that's the responsibility of governments and the extent to which that's the responsibility of of companies that are, are set up to make money. But I think that certainly a lot of the people I talked to felt that it was playing really hard ball and that there was not much they could do when faced with such a global power in the form of a company. And then the other big point is, you know, one of the reasons why Pfizer will have more power in this situation, whether it wants it or not, is that there hasn't been good global cooperation between governments. They've not worked together to fund initiatives like COVAX early enough or to decide how you distribute vaccines more equitably. It has been a bit of a grab for each for their own. 
So now we have this new coronavirus variant that global health officials are worried about, uh, Omicron. Can we assume that Pfizer is well-placed to respond to it? Well, pretty well-placed because mRNA technology is the most adaptable technology out there. You take this gene sequence and you just change the gene sequence. Now, obviously, because of regulation, you have to do some more tests. You have to do probably a small bridging trial in people, although we haven't heard exactly what they're going to ask for. But that certainly means that they're likely to sort of double down on their dominance there. And Albert Bula said this week that he thinks that they would make almost 4 billion doses of a new version of a vaccine, which suggests to me that they're saying maybe we'll have like a really short switch over time, but we're pretty much going to meet the same targets as we were always going to, even if we switch to a new tweaked vaccine. Interesting. Hannah Kushler is the FT's global pharmaceutical correspondent. Thanks, Hannah. Thank you. Before we go, we have a quick correction to make. In yesterday's show, we overstated the importance of oil in Iran's economy. We removed that section for clarity. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. 